I would be up here in the office by my, I was literally unpacking my office still, getting boxes and trying to figure out if I want my theology books here or over there and want the other research books here and, and trying to sort it all out. And this guy would call in. He lived in Daphne. He was kind of a shut-in and recluse. And, and he started calling. He just wanted to talk to a pastor about spiritual things. You know, I fell for that. So I was like, sure, that'd be great. And so we just had these talks, two-hour talks. I'd put him on speakerphone. We'd have these two-hour talks. And he would tell me all about some theology he's reading, and we'd talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the creation. And he was very interested in creation and how God created everything. We'd talk all about those you know, days of creation and all that stuff. And it was, it was interesting conversations. And then about the third time he called, we'd been on the phone over a period of time for probably a couple, three hours. So I kind of become his friend, named David. You know, hey, you're a good guy. This is fun. Call me back. And uh, so he kind of kept my office hours going when I was here just trying to get everything unpacked and sorted out. And uh, David called one day, and he's, we started talking about different spiritual things. And he said, I got a question. I want you to help me understand what murder is. You know, I had a little red flag there at the moment he was asking. And so we had a little talk about how does God define murder? And he said, is it taking a life? I said, well, of course that would be murder, taking a life. And, uh, and, and of course, then I'm going, is there a reason you're at? Well, no, I'm just trying to understand. You know, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that, and I just want to understand it. So once again, I kind of fell for all that and get into that discussion about murder. And we have this long, I'm looking up verses like crazy and, you know, trying to, help him with verses on murder we're talking about murder and all the things that god says about you know not killing people and uh so all of a sudden he he then he changes the conversation and he wants to talk about his mother and i'm going uh, um murder mother mur, mu, huh yeah i'm trying to put all this together go wait slow slow down um and, and he wants to talk and i'm trying to decide now is his mother the murderer or is he going to murder his mother you know, and then I'm also trying to figure out. I've got my cell phone with me, and I'm trying to figure out. Do I need as of the flip phone days? I'm trying to figure out. Do I need to go ahead and dial 911 and say, "Hey, I don't know who this guy is. I know he lives in Daphne. I know his phone number. You guys are going to find him from there." But something's going on at his house. But he's talking about murder and mother. And then, worst of all, the very first day we had that conversation, the only day we had that conversation, he goes, "Oh, wait a minute. I gotta go. She's here. I'll call you back and let you know." Like, oh my gosh! So now. My heart's racing now. I mean, pounding out of my chest, racing. Did I, if I just convinced a guy, told a guy what murder is so he could actually perform that, to, or is his mother, you know, going to get... I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I literally did call. I called 911 and explained it to him. Of course, they kind of thought I was a little loony. And, uh, but I said, I, if you just knock on the door and make sure, you know, several people are living in that house, be good. If there's two especially that I know are supposed to be there, that'd be good. And I never got a call back. Except the next day, he called the office. I'm like, hey, we kind of ended abruptly yesterday. Can you have, what's going on with your mom? And are you upset with your mom? Why are you talking about murdering your mom? You know, I'm trying to get into answer. And, and he says, no, it's my mother. She's a murderer. You know, red flags again. I'm like, oh, cell phone, 911. She's a what? Yes. How do you know that? She, every single week, she's a murderer. Every week, she's a murderer? That's insane. You know, and, and of course I knew this guy was depressed and going through a lot, so you know, I'm trying to sort it all out. And he goes, yes, every week she takes our trash can and rolls it to the end of the driveway. And some people come by and pick that up and haul it off. Like, is somebody in there? You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm all just, I mean, my heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm thinking now I'm, I'm an accomplice to this process because we've had these conversations. I'm really stressing, right? And he goes, 
you said it's murder to take a life. Yes, I remember saying that. He goes, there's ants and bugs in that trash can. And when they go to the end of the driveway, they get all crushed up and dumped in a... I'm like, oh, they're going to ant heaven, buddy. You know, that's a good thing for ants to go to the dump. But he really believed if you killed a bug, it was murder. So his mother, every week, was murdering all these bugs. I'm like, hey, I gotta go. Um, not enough time to talk to you anymore. But had a little more conversation with him. But, you know, it was one of those days where I was going... I don't always get the best calls here. You know, as a pastor, you get these weird people that call sometimes. Some of y'all have been those weird people, by the way, just saying. But, but when you're talking about questions, there's one very serious question that you really have to face uh, more than any other question, and there's only one answer that really matters. Um, and the, the one, the most important question you can ever be asked, I heard Terry Chupp, who many of you know runs Team Jesus out of Georgia and helps us with that fishing event. He helps arrange the funds for the rods and reels and all that. Um, he asked people this question all the time. And I heard him ask this question yesterday. I'm going to just let you put it on the screen. It says, if you were to face God today, for some reason you ended up face-to-face with God, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? You have to have an answer for that. And there's only one correct answer, okay? And you don't have to circle an X or any of that kind of stuff, and you can't give them names. The only answer that matters is I trust in Jesus as my Savior. The one answer that matters the most in life is that answer. No matter what else you know about anything, that's the one answer that matters. And I've heard people who, who have heard this question before, and they, they, I've literally had people tell me this answer. They'll say, well, if I had to tell God something, it would be, I've really tried. Good for you. Not the right answer. Good for you. I, some people say, well, I tell God, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a good person. I mean, I'm not as bad as people in prison. Right? So you're not in prison today. You're here, unless you're supposed to be in prison and you snuck out. You're, not, you're here today. And so you're not bad people. You're good people, right? Good people. That's not the answer that works, by the way. You can tell God all day long, I'm a good person, and I'm not as bad as so-and-so, and it's not going to be the answer that God's going to let you into heaven with. It's not the answer. You've got to have the one right answer. I've had people say to me before, um, well... I, I went to church for years. Or some people say, I go to church every Sunday. And my parents went to, I went to church with my mother for years. You know, like her mother, the mother's some kind of rescue moment there. You know, God's going to say, this is about me and you, not you and your mother, not you and your church. This is just me and you. Why should I let you into my heaven? And there's only one answer that works. And whatever answer you want to give, if it doesn't include, I trust in Jesus as my Savior. He is the King and the Lord and the Redeemer and the Savior. That's why we put the banners up today. He is those things to all of us. And if you don't trust in Him in those places and in those realities, you will not enter into heaven. It's, you'll get the wrong answer on the test. And that's not a day you want to get the wrong answer on a test. You don't want to stand before God on Judgment Day and get the wrong answer. And so I'm just going to encourage you today that there's only one answer. Acts chapter 4, verse 10 says it this way, and you can see it on the screen here. Uh, Then know this, the apostle Peter, after a healing, says, You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that's what we're celebrating on Easter, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone, Jesus, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Now listen to this. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven 
given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, not the Pope. There's not another name given by men by which we must be saved. But the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's really narrow. Yes, it is. And it's God saying, this is how narrow the path is. You have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to, that He saved you from your sins, that He died on the cross, was rose again. You have to believe in that to be saved. And that's as, that's as clear as it can possibly get. Would you do me a favor? Let's go back, man. On this scripture up here, at the very bottom, it says, Salvation is found in no one else. Would you just read that part of that sentence with me? Let's read it together. Salvation is found in no one else. Let's read the next line. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. Is that clear? That's clear. All right, and so the other thing I want to help you understand is Romans 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. So we have to believe in our heart and trust in Him. And by the way, it's not just saying I'm saved. not just saying, well, I believe God exists, or I believe Jesus exists. It's trusting Him as a Savior for yourself. Believing you had sins and He had to pay for those sins on the cross of Calvary. That's the issue that's at stake here. And your eternity depends on you being able to answer that question right. And I have a lot of people say, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and you're getting all that stuff from the Bible and from Scripture, and you know, that's some ancient literature. It's written a long time ago, so you, know, you don't need to get um, all worked up because I'm not sure I believe in all that. Well, I want to tell you, give you three pieces of advice today. If you're here today and you're kind of fuzzy on some of that, I want to give you three pieces of advice. Number one, Jesus was a real historical figure who changed everything about life on earth. You've got to understand the difference in Jesus and anybody else you'll ever read about. Everything on the planet changes because of Jesus. Do you know that when you write something on your Google calendar or your calendar that's on your refrigerator or your calendar on your desk at work, your big desk calendar, when you write something on there, you know what you're doing? You're marking time by Jesus Christ. Calendars around the world are focused around the life of Jesus Christ. Everything depends on you understanding when and where he lived and died and, and rose again. His whole life marks your life. So every part of the calendar does that. And by the way, almost every, almost every municipality and town and state and even the, gov the federal government runs most of their laws by the Old Testament scriptures of God and Jesus' interpretation of them in the New Testament. All about love and hate and murder and all that stuff. That's all written right by God. We run our community based on the values and principles of Jesus. It's the only way to make the communities actually work together and keep us from being some tribe that just goes around and beats up other tribes. See, the people that don't have the scriptures in foreign places that never had them, they end up warring with each other and sometimes inner fighting. But there is a, a, a truth for us that Jesus was a real historical figure and everything about life changes. And by the way, if you'll trust him as your Savior, you never have. But if you'll trust him as your Savior, everything in your life has changed. Really great for the better. Second thing is the biblical accounts of Jesus are proven to be accurate and 
disputable by historical research. Now, I've done a ton of reading on this because it's my life calling um, to, to tell people about Jesus. And uh, there's so much out there. You say, well, I've watched a bunch of documentaries on TV. There's like the hit right now with Easter here, they, the History Channel and the Discovery Channel and all these other, you know, they run all these little documentaries on who Jesus was and who Mary was and who Peter was and who John was. And, you know, they do all that kind of stuff. And, and some of them actually say, well, you know, some people believe this and some people believe that. And, you know, the scriptures really aren't clear. Yes, they are. I'm sorry. The people that are doing those documentaries are trying to get people to watch the show. They're not trying to prove or disprove anything. But anybody you've ever known that will actually research for themselves the biblical history of Jesus and then the accounts in the scriptures, they'll learn that Jesus was who he says he was from the very moment he was resurrected and then eventually 52 days later ascended into heaven. From that moment on, who he said he was was documented in accurate history notes. And we have those notes, by the way. We have tons of them. You know there's more evidence about Jesus living on the earth and doing the miracles he did and doing all the things he said he did, including rise from the dead, which is what we're celebrating today. There's more evidence of that than there is evidence of Socrates. And nobody questions whether Socrates lived or Alexander the Great. There's more writings about Jesus in his historical day than there was about Alexander the Great. And yet everybody goes, well, we know Alexander the Great. Let me tell you a little story about, or a little information about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great became Alexander the Great 500, 600, 700 years after he ruled because of his legends that followed him. You know what legends are, right? They're stories that kind of grow into something else, and they make really great movies. I'll give you one for me. I have a legend, and uh, it's a very important legend to me. Years and years ago, I went to Romania, and uh, I hurt my toe really bad in, uh, in Romania. Uh, I actually hurt it in the town of Hung Budapest, Hungary, and then rode on a train for many, many hours up into the mountains of Romania where we camp for 15 days up on this mountainside, and you got to be able to walk on your foot. Well, I had jammed my big toenail into the back of my toe real bad, and it had become inflamed and infected and swollen, and it was my foot was huge, my toe was huge, and I actually had blood poisoning going up the back of my calf through those veins. And I was in a lot of trouble in a foreign country that has no medical stuff at all. The lady at the camp that helps with the medical stuff eventually saw me limping, which I had tried to hide very many times from her. She saw me limping, wanted to see my toe, saw my toe, and she said, with translators standing around her who were my friends, they were Romanians, uh, college students, she said to, to them, tell him he has to go to the hospital right now. They turned white as ghost on my behalf and begin arguing with her that he can't do... They'll cut his foot off if that happens. And I'm just listening to all this in a foreign language going, that can't... Whatever's happening there about my toe can't be good. And it became a crisis for us. We literally had prayer meetings. And by the way, my nephew Gabe's here. He was the one that would carry me around. I was so glad he was very... Uh, well-grown-up 18-year-old boy because I would literally get on his back and he would carry me up the hill. And uh, But at that time, there was no way I could get medical treatment. And we, we had circles of prayer. And then the Lord just told me, he said, you're going to have to go cut your toenail off. you got to get some pressure out of there and you got to get all that infection out. And so I went up into this mountain stream one afternoon while everybody was at game time. I went to this mountain stream with a pocket knife that's the dullest knife I've ever owned in my life. Why in the world... I took that knife, I don't know, but it was a very dull Swiss Army knife, and I cut my own toenail out with that knife. It took me a couple hours of uh, tears and crying and yelling and 
screaming and putting my foot back in the cold, cold creek. Um, it was a mountain creek around about 60 degrees, so it would actually take a little of the edge off of it. And, uh, but I eventually got my toenail off, and uh, whew, that was great. All the infection, we had some medicine we could put on it then because we'd get to the, in, the injury and all that good stuff. And so within a couple of days, I'm better, and the line's going back down my leg, and whew, thank you, Jesus, answered a prayer, and Swiss Army knife, and me. Okay, now, if you fast forward two years into my ministry with those college students, you understand that I, by the time that story got around, I had actually cut my toe off and sewn it back on, okay? <laughs> you know, I carried it in a bag for a couple of days, and I sewed it back on one night in my own tent. I mean, it just turned into this legendary moment, and I would start taking these teams and get them prepped for the next year. We would go on these camping trips to get prepped, and then I'll be like, is that the knife you cut your toe off with? You know, which toe was it, and how'd you do that, man? That's insane. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Well, the last group said you cut your toe off, and I'm like, I didn't cut my toe off. I cut my toenail off. It's a very different process, you know? <laughs> but that's how legends take place, and it takes years to, to advance a legend really strong. A lot of people believe, uh, have been told, that the reason Jesus Christ is assumed to be alive and resurrected from the grave, what we celebrate this very day, Easter, is that years later, Christians began amplifying his story of what really happened into a resurrection. That 300, 400, 500 years after Jesus had, had been crucified, the Christians wanted the story to go that way, so they kind of pushed it that way. There's a lot of critics that write about that. You get on the internet and find tons of people that go, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Let me tell you how you messed that up real bad. You read the writings of the Apostle Paul, 30 years 30 years after Jesus' ascension, 30 years, not 300, 30, Paul's writing to churches in his letters, the epistles. He's writing to churches and quoting songs that the churches would sing about the resurrection of Jesus. These churches had music already. They've already put stuff to music about the songs about the resurrection of Jesus. So it wasn't 500 years. It was almost immediately after Jesus ascended, the, the Christians already knew what had happened. They knew the value of it. The Apostle Peter and Luke and the other guys were going around and talking about what Jesus did, and the historical account is true. Okay. So the other thing I want you to know is you just need to research it for yourself. Study the evidence for yourself. There's a great book out by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. Um, if you don't own it, you should. If you know people that like to watch those... Uh, things on TV and get all confused by them, you should give them a copy of the book and say, dare you, dare you to read this book. Because Lee Strobel was a guy who was a lawyer, and in one of his classes he had to take a court case and prove something one way or the other. He decided to prove that Jesus Christ was a farce, that none of the biblical account could actually be accurate. People can't do miracles. And that Jesus couldn't have actually you know, been dead and then raised again, raised his own self from life. He couldn't really be the son of God. He decided to prove all that wrong. Right? And you know what he did? The harder he researched, the more he got close to God, and pretty soon he got saved. Now he travels around speaking, telling people, hey, you can't disprove this one, because it's very clear. The historical evidence, even the medical evidence, um, he does psychological testings. He has psychologists study the teachings of Jesus and the behavior of Jesus, say, hey, was he a lunatic for teaching this and behaving like that? And they're like, no, that, make, that guy's crystal clear. He had a purpose and a mission and values, and he stuck right to them. So you just need to study it for yourself. I want to challenge you today. Jesus is the real deal, and he's the one answer you have to have.
to make your life right with Him. You have to know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. We put a video out a few minutes ago that says, Who is Jesus? I want you to watch this video with me now. That's one of our favorites at the church here. It's called My King. There are approximately 2 billion heartbeats in the human lifespan. And the human mind processes, on average, 47,000 thoughts in a single day. Over 17 million a year and over 1 billion in a lifetime. That's, That's hundreds, hundreds of millions of millions questions, questions in a human life. life. Of those questions, of these, those three questions down, these three years out. Who am I? Who am Why, I? Am I Why am I here? Where do we come from? These three questions led to an even bigger question. These three questions lead to an even bigger question. These three questions led to an even bigger question. A question that answers all questions. A question that answers all questions. All questions. Do you know him? Do you know No. Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He threatens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. Yes, 
overcome sin. And uh, there's a couple of verses you just need to be very familiar with today um, to help you understand this. Romans 3 says it this way, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And Pastor Les at Team Jesus yesterday used this with all the little groups of kids. We had four groups of kids in front of him, and he used this verse, and he said, if you're in the all of this verse, I want you to stand up, turn around, and sit down. So I'm going to do this with you. If you're in the all of this verse, would you stand up and sit back down? You know, there's nobody that shouldn't be standing. So, yeah, y'all are, are pretty quick today. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that hasn't. When I heard this verse as a little boy, I began to understand that I didn't meet God's standards. And that I messed up things in my life and I made mistakes and I had to make some choices. And, and uh, I was fortunate that uh, my second grade teacher uh, led me to Jesus Christ. I went to a chapel service that scared me real bad. And uh, the chapel teacher told me to go to my, son, to my teacher and share with her that I wanted to become a Christian. And she led me in a sinner's prayer in the second grade at Greystone Christian School. I can show you the classroom I was sitting in when that happened that day. And it's changed my life forever. Now, at the same time, um, I was in a Christian school, and then eventually I was in a military school, and then I went to a Bible college. And I've shared this with you numerous times before, but I began to see a pattern in my life. You may have seen this pattern in your own life, um, that when I'm obedient, the authorities and leaders in my life are happy with me. When I'm disobedient, they are not happy with me. And I began to translate that into this. I felt loved when I was obedient, and I felt like I was not being loved when I was disobedient. And uh, that was really true of my father, I man, for all the good things my father was. When you're disobedient, not a lot of love there from my dad, okay? My dad was real good at making it clear, not happy with you at all, and uh, if I love you, it's going to be in the grave if you don't change. And so I had this problem that I began to learn a negative truth, or, uh, I mean a negative statement that wasn't true, and the thing I began to learn was, if, if I don't behave right, God doesn't love me. I began to think that because my environment was working that way. And I, if you went to a military school, good gracious, I don't know if any of you ever did that, but I went to a military school, and if you didn't behave right, they did not love you at all. They didn't even try to love you if you were not obedient to all the little rules we had to follow, including keeping your brass shine, your shoes shine, and your clothes exactly right, and all that kind of stuff. And there was no love there for that. And so I learned how to be obedient and then expect to get rewarded with love. What I had to figure out later, though, is this verse, Romans 5, says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that God's love doesn't depend on your obedience? You know, God's love for you does not depend on you being a good person. Matter of fact, there's no good people going to heaven. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. Good people aren't going to heaven. Sinners are going to heaven who have trusted Christ as their Savior. If you can answer that first question, I trust Christ as my Lord and Savior, then you get to go to heaven, not because you're good, because Christ paid for your sins. And so Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a very important verse for you to understand. Um, and then Romans 5, a little further down, one of my favorite sets of verses says this, For just as through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, Many were made sinners. We all follow in suit with him. So also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Law was added so that trespasses might increase. When you make a bunch of laws, people break a bunch of laws. So when you add law, 
trespasses, sins increase. People break laws. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In the King James, it says, where sin abounded, grace, and the Greek word is super abounded, all the more. So that just as sin reigns in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness uh, through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the simple truth of that verse. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever, ever understand. If you take nothing away from church today, here's what I want you to get. There's no sin outside the boundaries of God's grace. There's not one sin greater than the grace of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It honestly doesn't matter what you've done. And I've shared with you this before. I've stood at Holman Prison in Death Row Inn with 15 inmates standing around me who were going to be executed for their crimes. That verse still applies to them just like it applies to me. There's not a sin you can sin outside the boundaries of God's grace. God's grace is just that good and that strong. And it's there for us. And so I don't want you to ever worry that I've done something so wrong. I can't get saved. I have an uncle um, that didn't believe he was good enough to, to trust Jesus. breaks my heart that he died that way. But you and I don't have to think that today because the Bible is very clear. Where sin increases, grace increases more. There's more grace than there is sin in your life. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You can find a way for God to reach out to you. Literally, all you have to do is call on his name and ask him exactly like it says in Romans. You have to call on his name. Let's look at one more verse. Colossians 3, and I want you to see this verse, and then we're going to have a little skit to help you understand it. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature. That's spiritually dead. All of us were spiritually dead people. Dead people, by the way, never help themselves, ever. You don't see dead people getting up to heal themselves or help themselves. We were dead in our trespasses and sin because of our sins and our sinful nature. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sin and canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away, how? By nailing it to the cross. When God sent His Son Jesus to pay for our sins on the cross, that canceled all the debt you have as long as you trust Jesus to do that. It's the only thing that will wash away your sins. The only person that can cleanse you from your sins is Jesus Christ Himself, no one else. I want you to watch this as Cody uh, shares a little skit with us this morning, Cody and Kendall. I want you to watch this, this uh, truth that this will display for you. Amen. We're going to uh, sing another song for you in a few minutes. Um, but I want to tell you one more thing as part of our service today, so you guys be seated. By the way, you feel his love today in here? Do you? He does love you. He loved you enough to leave heaven. And there's two, there's two truths I want you to end with today. He is the one who can give you life, two kinds of life, abundant life and eternal life. And he's the only one that can do that. Jesus is the one who can offer you abundant life and eternal life. John chapter 10 says it this way, if you'll just follow it with me on the screen. Or John 3.16, rather. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I don't want you to feel condemned today. If you're a sinner, welcome to a room full of us. We are all sinners, and the pastor is a sinner. I'm not any better than anybody in this room, and when we all stand before God and we stand before the cross, it's equal ground. doesn't matter what you've done. 
Doesn't matter how, what kind of choices you've made at the cross, it's equal ground. And you have to make that choice. I choose to believe in Jesus as my Savior. And I trust Him to be the one who saves me from my sins. And the Bible says whoever believes on Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the promise of eternal life. But it's even better than that because He promises us this in John 10. He promises us abundant life. He says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's talking about the sheep, us as being sheep, and we enter to his fold through his pasture. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, that's false teachers. There's a lot of false teachers out there who will teach you that what we're saying today is not true. Trust me. Test the Bible, and you'll find it to be true. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they might have life, and have it to the full. One translation says, have it more abundantly. That's the life he's promised us here on earth. I've taught this many times at our church. Abundant life is joy, hope, and peace. If you want joy in your life, you need Jesus. It's the only way to get it. The Bible actually teaches that in John 15. If you want hope in your life, Romans 5 says, he's the hope that never disappoints. Never dis you want to never be disappointed in anyone again? Put Jesus in the center of your life. And then the Bible says he is the peace. John 14 and 16 says he's the one that gives peace. Paul says it's peace that passes understanding. A peace that passes understanding. Joy, hope, and peace. You want those things? That's abundant life here on earth. Not trial-free, not trouble-free. You need to understand trials and troubles. Hang around our church for a little while. Let our church family tell you. We got some. We got a long list of them. Amen? And we can just, we'll be happy to share them with you and let you, let you know what our trials and troubles are. But I'll tell you what. We have joy and hope and peace. And we get to see God do great works because he promises us not just eternal life, but abundant life. Some of you today have never trusted him as your savior. And God's speaking to you right now. God's, God's expressed to you his love um, through Cody doing this great skit that just says he will wash all your sins away. God will wash all your sins away just because he loves you. Not because you're a good person, not because you're doing it right, but because he loves you that much. So will you today trust Him to be your Lord and Savior? I'm going to ask every head be bowed and every eye closed. If you've never trusted Christ your Savior, or you're just not sure, you've never fully put your hope in Christ to say He is the one I'm depending on. You've depended on yourself and Christ. Maybe you trust in God and you to get through life. Today's the day to let go of you, get out of God's way, and just say, God, I'm going to trust totally in you today. If you've never done that, I'd love for you to pray this little prayer. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray in your heart today these words. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I know that you are the one who came from heaven to save me from my personal sins. And you're the only one who can wash away all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You're the only one who loves me that much. You're the only one who overcame sin and death. So the very best way I know how on Easter 2015, I give my life to you. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And I trust you to cleanse me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.